We are in Amos chapter 6 this morning. Before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity again that we can lift our song, our voices in song. Thank you for the richness of the songs we just sang. The reminder of your grace, the reminder of your mercy, and at the same time, a reminder of the call in our lives. Pray you help us to hear from Amos chapter 6 this once again needful, needfully painful passage. And yet, Lord, I pray you'll help us to hear your grace as well and hear your call. So glorify yourself in your name I pray. Amen. Amos chapter 6 this morning, we're going to be looking at the entire chapter all the way through verse 14. Um, let me just say there's a little bit of a shift in Amos chapter 6 in this fifth message of Amos. Um, the shift is intriguing at some levels. It's important that we hear the shift. It's important that we recognize the shift. There, the shift is not a dramatic shift. The condemnation is still pouring out of the text as it is every chapter. Um, the um, reality that the time of repentance has passed for the most part, although we hear the echoes of the call to the remnant to continue to follow, it is mere echoes at this point. The focus is somewhat changed though in chapter 6 because the focus is going to primarily be on the leadership of the ten northern tribes. There's a hint at the southern tribes. There's one little mention of the southern tribes. But for the most part, the focus is on the ten northern tribes. And for, for almost its entirety, it's focused on the leadership of the ten northern tribes. However, it can be argued and must be argued that although the focus is on the leadership of the ten northern tribes, the leadership is leading the people a direction that they have willingly what? Followed. Absolutely. They have willingly followed. And so although the focus is on the leadership, the condemnation is for all, because all have followed. There are, again, exceptions, although the idea of the remnant really barely shows up in this text. It does show up, but it just barely shows up. Let's start reading. We'll read the entirety of all 14 verses, and then we'll go back to verse 1 and wander our way through the text. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion, and woe to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over to Kalna and see, and from there go to Hamath the Great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than any of these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? Or do you, or I'm sorry, or you who put far away the, the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence? Woe to those who lie on beds of, bed of, beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sounds, the sound of, har of the harp. And like David, invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now be the first of those who go into exile. 
and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. The Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds, and I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. And if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him to bring the bones out of the house, and shall say to him who is in the innermost parts of the house, Is there still anyone with you? He shall say, No. And he shall say, Silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord commands, and the great house shall be struck down into fragments, and the little house into bits. Do horses run on rocks? Or, I'm sorry, yeah, do horses run on rocks? Does one plow there with oxen? But you have turned justice into poison, and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice in Lodabar, who say, have we not by our own strength captured Carnaim for ourselves? For behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the, house, the God of hosts, and they shall oppress you from Lebo Hamath to the brook of the Arabah. And that's our text this morning. You'll notice right away in verse 1, the word woe. It shows up once again. In verse 4, so there's two woes in the text. We've said this in past texts, we've said it in past books. When you see the word woe, it is a funeral, beginning of a funeral dirge. People are to die, or it is being sung because people have already died. Oftentimes in the scriptures, it's sung because people are about to die. It's the beginning of a funeral dirge. And when God pronounces woe, God being who God is, that means what? Death is coming. Death is coming. Now let me just stop on that for just a second as we get our way into chapter 6 to remind you of something. It's very easy for us to read these passages and to somehow divorce ourselves from them because we're talking about Israel, the ten northern tribes. We're talking about almost 3,000 years ago, about 2,700 years ago, 2,300 years ago, actually. No, 2,700 years ago. About 2,700 years ago. Not only that, we're talking about a time frame that is outside of our time frame. It's the Old Testament economy versus the New Testament economy or New Testament, as we call it, the already not yet time frame. It's very easy to look at this and say, yes, this is a great historical book. It teaches us much about God, but it really doesn't have a whole lot to say about the church. And I would say, be careful when you start to think that way. Be very careful. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And let us remember that God being the same yesterday, today, and forever has uniquenesses to him that are very foreign to us. He is absolutely holy. He's absolutely righteous. He, from all times, could not ever tolerate what? Sin. And if he can't tolerate sin, he certainly can't tolerate abiding or remaining sin. Does that make sense? 
Very important that we wrap our brains around that God has not changed. We certainly recognize for those who are truly believers, what? We recognize that for those who are truly believers, not just those who confess, but those who actually profess to steal the term from the Puritans of the 1600s. 1600s, right? Yeah, ballpark. It's not about confessors, it's about professors. I'm sorry, it's not about... Yeah, it's not about confessors, it's about those who, who possess Christ, or better put, are possessed by Christ. So it's easy to confess Christ, but it's a whole different animal to be possessed by Christ, to belong to Christ. What's the difference? This is a really important question. What's the difference? And I, I say this beforehand before we get into this text. What's the difference? Well... Have you ever met anybody who claims to be a believer, but you look at their lives and you say, you scratch your head and say, uh, I don't think so? You ever meet anybody like that? Okay, nobody's responding. I hope you meet people like that because they're everywhere. Otherwise, the whole concept of remnant in the scripture would be a lie. They're everywhere. There's a lot of people who claim to be believers. But when push comes to shove, I'm not on the throne, you're not on the throne, but you look at it, and you look at the, the scriptures where it says what? By their fruit you shall know them. And the scriptures tell us that, that for those who belong to Christ, he gives them a new heart, and in having a new heart, he causes something to happen. They bear fruit, you've gone this many times before, then he prunes, and they bear much fruit. We know that's the case. It's really clear in the scriptures. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who claim to be believers. I'm not on the throne. But I look and I say, what's the evidence? What's the demonstration of the Spirit at work? We sang three songs already this morning. I just highlighted a few things. If I may just hit these real quick before we get into Amos chapter 6. The very first song we sang is a song, almost direct, not word for word, but it comes out of the Psalms. The song that we sang, the very first song, is frankly, you, when you sang it, you were singing, whether you realize it or not, you were singing to yourself. I don't know if you caught that, but you were singing to yourself. Bless the Lord, what? Oh, my soul. And then you're calling, so you're calling your soul to bless the Lord. You're calling your soul to worship, to make much of, to hold him in highest esteem. Worship his holy name. You're telling your soul, sing like never before, oh my soul. And then you're committing to, I'll worship your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to what? <laughs> sing your song again. Whose song? God's song again. What is he saying there? The author of this song, 10,000 Reasons, is saying the purpose for me getting up today is to what? Sing your song again. 
whatever may pass, good things, bad things, co-workers treat you like garbage, boss treats you like garbage, whatever may pass, and whatever lies before me today, let me be what? See. When? When the day, when the evening comes. Let me even to the evening still be what? Praising you. You're rich in love. Now we're talking about the attributes of God, aren't we? You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness, I will what? Keep on singing. How would I keep on singing about his goodness if I wasn't dwelling on and speaking about his goodness into my soul? Right? 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. This isn't another confession. It's just a challenge at the same time. When was the last time we went on a hunt for 10,000 reasons? When was the last time we went on a hunt for two reasons? To sing praises to God. And on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise on ending 10,000 years and then forevermore. You know what the author's saying there in that last verse? As I've lived my life challenging and calling my soul to sing his praises and focus on his attributes, when the most, even in the difficult days, when the most difficult day comes, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to sing about the only one I know. That's what it says. Now I know it's not an inspired song, but it's coming out of an inspired text. Jumping over to the third song. When I stand accused by my regrets and the devil roars his empty threats, I will what? I will preach the gospel to myself. That's an interesting turn of a phrase, isn't it? Because what usually happens when I stand accused by my regrets and the devil roars his empty threats, my usual response is what? Oh, if only, or why, or this isn't fair, or whatever the case may be, isn't it? <clears throat> no, I'll preach the gospel to myself. That I am not a man condemned, for Jesus Christ is my defense. Chorus 1, my, soul, my sin is nailed to the cross, my soul is healed by the scars, the weight of guilt I bear no more. If that's true... For you, if that's true for me, how can we but praise the Lord, praise the Lord? Does that make sense so far? When my doubts and shame hang over me like the arrows of the enemy, what does a true believer do? What does a real believer do? He runs. I will run again to where? Calvary, that rugged hill of hell's defeat, my fortress and my victory. Why is Calvary your fortress and your victory? Because that is where Christ conquered sin and Satan and death forever. My sin is nailed to the cross. My soul is healed by the scars. Now I'm alive forevermore. 
What's the only possible response? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Bridge two. It is finished. Sin is vanquished. If that's true for us, can there be any other response than hallelujah? Praise the Lord. All the glory, all the honor to my Savior, Christ the Lord. When I stand before the throne at last, his blood will plead my innocence. I will worship him with holy hands and raise the song that never ends of Jesus Christ, my righteousness. Why do I read those songs? Why do I read them to you? Because there's a lot of, of professors of Jesus Christ, of Christianity, of salvation. There's not as many possessors of Christ. What does a possessor of Christ look like? A possessor of Christ, these two songs sum up so well, not ignoring the, the second song, because that one's rich, I don't have so much time. These two songs sum up the response of a, of a possessor. A possessor reminds himself of Jesus. Why? Because the law tells him to? No, because sin is vanquished. He has saved me. He has rescued me. I'm not condemned. So I find myself as a saved person, as a redeemed person, as a person who is possessed by Jesus. Telling my soul to what? To praise his name. And I find myself as a result saying, praise the Lord. Why? Because my sin's been nailed to the cross. My soul is healed by the scars. The weight of guilt I bear no more. I find myself as a result that I run again to Calvary. Why? Because I still do sin, don't I? But I find that I run to Calvary. It's not a casual stroll. It's a running to. Because I find that at Calvary, which is symbolic of Jesus himself, I find my fortress and my victory. And I find as a result of that that I'm alive forevermore. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And then when it's all over and I'm dead, I'll find myself doing what? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All the glory. All the honor. To my Savior, Christ the Lord. The only way that happens in eternity is because it's happening now. And the only reason why it's happening now is because I'm possessed by Jesus. If I'm not possessed by Jesus, what happens? When I'm faced with my regret, I get depressed, I get, I moan, I groan, I complain, whatever the case may be. I don't rush, I don't run, I don't race to Calvary. That's not what I do. I avoid it. I don't find myself challenging my soul because I'm a sinner, challenging my soul, speaking, challenging me. Why is your heart downcast to quote the passage itself in Psalms? Why, oh soul, is your heart downcast within you? Hope. In the Lord. That's what happens when you're possessed. 
Jesus. Why do I bring that up? Because just like in Israel's day, there was a whole lot of professors of being a covenant person, but not a whole lot of actual possessors. Today in the church, we have a whole lot of confessors, not a whole lot of possessors. That's the idea of the remnant. And the challenge of Amos equally to the people of Israel is equal to today challenging the hearer, the reader to ask themselves, am I really someone who is possessed by Jesus? Or am I merely a confessor? What is the evidence? In both cases, it is high time for us to run to quote the third song, to run to Calvary. So, we start out in verse six, verse 1 of chapter 6. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and those who feel secure in the mountain, on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations, to whom the house of Israel comes. Now, I wanted you to notice, firstly, in verse 1, after we talk about woe, he just did. He's referencing the notable men. You see that three quarters of the way down the verse. The notable men. The notable men are the leaders. He's being very sarcastic here when he talks about the leaders of Israel. Calling them notable men of the first of the nations. Because that was their view of themselves. They are the notable men and their nation is the first of the nations. And of course, it concludes in verse 1 by saying, to whom the house of Israel comes, referring to the leaders, the notable men. So the woe to you, or woe to those, are the ones who are the notable men, primarily, although again, it echoes out to the entirety of the nation. The woe to them, who the notable men those who sit in positions of authority that the entire nation of Israel comes to. Woe to them. Now you'll notice in verse 1, he starts out by talking about those who are at ease in Zion, and then he talks about them who feel secure in the mountain of Samaria. The at ease in Zion is referring to the two southern tribes. It's the only reference in chapter 6 of the two southern tribes. It's briefly mentioned, kind of a hint back to chapter 1 where it started out talking about uh, the foreign nations, then it talked about Judah before it talked about Israel, the ten northern tribes. And he lumps, in this case, the leaders in Zion, two southern tribes, specifically focused on uh, Jerusalem, and those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, specifically referring to Bethel. Leaders in both categories. The ones in Zion are at ease. The ones in Samaria feel secure. Why? He's saying, woe to those who feel, or who are at ease. Woe to those who feel secure. Why are they feeling at ease and why are they feeling secure? Because life is good for them. We've talked about it before. Life is going well for them. They're prosperous. They've expanded their, their, their borders as far as historically they ever do. They're at peace. Trade is free. It's flowing freely. And, and Amos says to them at this point, woe to you who feel that way. 
Why would he be saying woe to them? Because they're presuming upon the God of the covenant. Woe to you. Well, the covenant said, I'll bless you, right? Didn't the Old Testament covenant, Deuteronomy, say, I'll bless you if you follow me faithfully? Did he say that? Well, of course he did. But in the midst of that, I'll bless you if you follow me, if you obey me, if you worship me, if you love me, ultimately. In the midst of that, he says, but be careful. Why? Because while I'm blessing you, your tendency is going to be what? To forget him. And ultimately, when you forget him, what's going to happen? Blessings go away. The blessings go away and the curses come. Now, according to Deuteronomy, there's a lag time. God blesses. They receive the blessing. They enjoy the blessing. They forget God. And yet the blessing still continues for a while. It doesn't say, nor does it even imply, that the moment you forget him, everything goes south. The call in Deuteronomy is really, really clear. That when I bless you, the danger is you're going to forget me. Why? Why would you ever forget God? Because your focus wasn't on him in the first place. Your focus was on what? The blessing. Absolutely. Which is why you see Israel going through this cycle repeatedly. They forget God. God curses them. The prophets come. They respond sometimes in repentance. Or the judges come in the book of Judges. They respond in repentance. Short term, God blesses. And they once again do what? Forget him. And then he curses them again. Why? Because they were never ever truly remembering him. That's why. They were never truly caught up in him. Now that never happens today in the church, does it? Well, yeah, it does. All the time. <clears throat> Bad times come, whether it's, no matter what it is. The boss mistreats us, uh, we get cancer, um, uh, we have a bad car wreck, a relative gets really, really sick, and we right away rush off to God. Isn't that what happens? And then, woo, God takes care of it. For what reason? I don't know why that's behind the curtain. But it works out so often, doesn't it? And then when it works out, God's blessing, we do what? We go right back to what we used to be. I remember reading a story by Garrison Keillor. I don't know if you know who Garrison Keillor is. Um, very home companion. Um, it's a PBS show. Anyway, he writes this story. It's a really interesting story about a guy who gets up in the morning and he goes to take a shower. And he's in the shower. And as he's taking a shower, he's scrubbing away. And all of a sudden, he feels a pain in his chest. An excruciating pain. And he falls down to his knees in the shower. In agony. And as he's down on his hands and knees in the shower, he's absolutely convinced he's having a heart attack. And he's on his 
Garrison Keillor is not a believer. In fact, he's an atheist. He's mocking Christians in the story. He falls down on his hands and knees. And he's on his hands and his knees. And the hot water is pounding his back. He's starting to pray. And as he's praying, he's saying, God, please help me. Help me. And if you help me, and he's starting to ask for forgiveness of sins. And and he's down there. If you help me, I'll serve you. And slowly but surely, the pain begins to recede. And as it recedes, he starts getting up. And by the time he gets up on his feet, pain's gone. And he says to himself, it must have just been indigestion. He lathers up, washes himself, dries himself off, and just goes about his day. Sound familiar? Doesn't that sound familiar? That's not what those songs talked about, did they? That's not at all what those songs talked about. But that's the way Christianity is so often. And it's in the midst of that, because that's exactly where Israel is. Life's going well. Woo! They had some tough times before this. Heart attacks. Oh, maybe it's a heart attack. No, just indigestion. Off doing whatever they were going to do anyway. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Why are they at ease? And woe to those who feel secure in the mountains of Samaria. Why do they feel secure? Because life's going well. We're going to find it more explained in just a little bit. But life's going well for them. And God says in the midst of that, woe to you. I'm starting to sing your funeral song. You who think life's going well right now. Who are at ease, you notable men of the first nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Woe to you. Verse 2. He says to the leaders and by extension to all the people of the ten northern tribes. Pass over to Kalna and see. And from there go to Hamath, the great. Then go down to Goth of the Philistines. What are you talking about there? He's saying, you think your nation's so good, so great, and you think things are going so well, it's time to stroll through history, is what he's saying. When he says, go to Hamath and go to Kalna, those are two city-states in a country called Aram. In Amos' day, those cities were no more. Why? Because Assyria wiped them out. They were no more. And then he says, go down to Goth of the Philistines and take a peek at them. They're no more either. You think you're so great? And all three of those are larger, were at one point in time larger and more prosperous and more secure and stronger in every way than the ten other tribes of Israel. That's why he goes on in verse 2 and says, Are you better than these kingdoms? They were, 
and are no more. What makes you think you're better than them? What makes you think you're greater than them? Or is their territory greater than your territory? Their aunt, the answer is yes and no. It's put in the present. If it was in the past, was their territory greater? Yes. Is their territory greater? No. It's a striking perspective that God's presenting to these people who are at ease when they ought not to be. Rather than being people at ease, these pe ought to be people who are tearing their, their clothing and covering themselves with ashes and sackcloth and grieving. But they're at ease. Verse 3. Oh, you put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seed of violence. What he's saying in verse 3, he's saying, listen, here's the deal. In the way you're acting at ease, and in comfort and security, you feel that way because you're ignoring something huge. That's what it means when he says, Oh, you put far away the day of disaster. God was clear first, number one, the book of Deuteronomy. He was really clear about the day of disaster, was he not? Absolutely, he was. He says, if then, it's an if-then statement. It really is clear. It's not an if-maybe. It's an if-then. And then God sent judges, some of them righteous judges. And what did they all say? They said, if then. Didn't they? Well, first there was Joshua. At the end, Joshua 24, if then. And then the judges came along. And, and God, through the judges, some of the good ones, said what? If then. And then the prophets started coming. And what did they say? If then. And it was all started by Moses in Deuteronomy, chapter 30, when he said, choose life or death. Blessings or cursings. 